Good morning. As we turn our attention to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with joy-filled reverence and sober humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin prepares our hearts and our minds to do just that. Let's read it together. I will never forget your commands. They make me wiser than my enemies. Your word is a lamp for my feet. It is a light to my path. This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 27. In the Blue Pew Bible, you can find it on page 475. Again, the text is Psalm 27, and it can be found on page 475. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice then, I call. Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Thank you, Linda. Let's see, as we uh, turn to consider God's word this morning, let's go ahead and begin with prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, um, we ask this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Uh, Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, we ask that you would uh, renew us, that you would give us a vision for you, that we would behold you in all your beauty, and all your wonder, and all your mercy, and all your welcome, your wisdom. 
Father, I pray that we would see you for, for who you are and that would ch- change us. Father, I pray that you would change us from the inside out and that you would grow us, that we would become more like your children, more like the family that you have given us. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, your kingdom would come this morning and that your will would be done in us and through us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, as Linda read for us, we're in Psalm uh, 27. And uh, if you have your blue Bible, blue pew Bible with you, I just want to follow along here. Just turn to the right real quickly. I want to start in Matthew chapter 6. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6 this morning. Luke chapter 6. That would be on page uh, 885 of your pew Bible, page 885. In chapter uh, 6, in the second half here, we see Jesus giving a series of blessings and woes. And uh, he, he has this to say, and I think it's very important to begin this way as a way of sort of framing Psalm 27 this morning. But, be, but look in, if you would, look in chapter 6 of, of verse 22. that says this, these very confusing words of Jesus. It says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Isn't that an amazing thing? Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you are rejected for standing for Jesus. And then turn to verse 26, just a few verses later. He goes from blessings to, to woes or to curses. That's at verse 26. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is saying there's a way of living your life when everyone speaks well of you. And wasn't that, wasn't that, that's what I want. I want everyone to speak well of me. I want everyone to love Bruce. And Jesus says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. What, what, is, what's, what's, what does that say about us as people? What does that say about Jesus? What does it say about the, the way that we live our lives? Right? What does it say about the idea of people-pleasing? Jesus is saying, you, to follow me means that you will be rejected. You must be rejected by some people. And not just because they don't like you because you're a bad person, but they don't like you because you follow Jesus. They don't like you because you've taken a stand. You have said things and done things that they don't like, and they want you removed. They want you out of the way, and they're going to do whatever it takes. And In fact, usually the way it goes is they're just going to lie about you. They're going to gossip about you. They're going to slander your name. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you are slandered, when you are rejected, when you are reviled because of me. You know, we, uh, this last, I don't know, three to four years, we've, what's arisen is this language, uh, this phenomenon, what's called the cancel culture. I'm sure you probably have heard this, the different people being canceled. That is to say that they are, in some way, they lose their job or they are subjected to public humiliation. In fact, even just this week alone, I, I've come across three different examples. I'll give you two. Just this week, Public figures, different persons, being canceled. Uh, one of them was a certain uh, Dr. Dorian Abbott, a professor of geophysics at University of Chicago. 
He was known throughout the world for his work on climate change. And he was invited by MIT to give a distinguished lecture. And he was disinvited, he was canceled, so to speak, because of his views that he had published on college admissions. And understand, the lecture that he was invited to give at MIT had to do with climate change. It had nothing, nothing to do with college admissions or anything like that. But because of his views, whatever they were, on college admissions, something about affirmative action or something like that, he was disinvited, he was canceled. There was a Twitter storm that was raised, and, they, and people, uh, people went to MIT and, 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 and urged them to disinvite this guy. And, and sure enough, MIT caved, and that was it. it was, you know, he was humiliated, he was disinvited because he didn't believe the right things. Again, this is not a Christian or non-Christian, but the point is that in our world, chances are you may well get rejected, canceled. You may well, may well very well get put on the outside. Another example is um, a, uh, a professor of music composition uh, named Bright Sheng, and he, um, let's see, I'm trying to recall where he, where he, I want to say University of Michigan, but he was, he's the distinguished Chinese-American composer. He's a two-time Pulitzer uh, nominee. He's a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient. And he said, listen to this. He's the survivor of the Cultural Revolution. He's Chinese. Came to America in the 80s. During that time, listen to this, he, he, when he grew up in China, there was a time in which the, the, the Chinese military, working for the, 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 the uh, Chinese um, the Communist Party, actually came to his house and hauled away his family's piano because it was regarded as a relic of the bourgeois culture. So here he comes to America, and for he's, uh, he was actually doing this project on Othello, if you know the Shakespeare uh, um, play Othello, and he showed a version of Othello in which, um, um, uh, what is his name, uh, Laurence Olivier was, was playing Othello. And we could talk about it was a 1965, this is, you know, the, the, the film, and you can talk about the, the, the wisdom of showing a film in which a white person plays a black character and, and the, the, the makeup, et cetera, involved and all that and the racial implications for all of that. But he was immediately dismissed from teaching because very, very students in his class were offended by having to watch this, um, this, this, this film. And so we live in a culture where, where, I mean, you can be as bright as you can be, you can be as accomplished as you can be, you can be a Pulitzer Prize nominee and still get canceled. And my point is this, it's almost as if rejection is inevitable. Now, some people aren't going to like you. They're going to say bad things about you, they're going to slander you, they're going to gossip about you. And the question is, what are they going to gossip about you about? For what are they going to reject you? And what is it that you want to, st what, what mountain do you want to stand on? What hill are you willing to die in order to take? And how will you deal with the slander that comes your way? In fact, a while ago I was reading an article about Abraham Lincoln and the horrible slander that he endured in his day. And in fact, you can go to his, uh, to one of his, to his museum uh, in Springfield, right? We were there a little while ago, and it has a, it's a wonderful museum that talks about just his life and story, etc. And one of the rooms in particular is, de is dedicated to the media of his day and how they absolutely hated Lincoln. I mean, he was one of the most, uh, um, they, they just loved actually to throw him into the bus. We're not, we're not talking just the South or the Confederacy, we're talking about the North. 
And the things that were said about him are just, it's amazing. And uh, this, one, this one article I was reading in the Atlantic, um, just to give a quote from it, it says this, it says, his wife, uh, Abraham Lincoln's wife, said that the constant attacks caused him great pain. At times, after reading salvos like Henry Ward Beecher's, Lincoln reportedly would exclaim, I would rather be dead than as president, thus abused in the house of my friends. So again, here's a man like Lincoln uh, receiving the full brunt of slander, of gossip, of abuse, of public humiliation for standing for the things that he stood for, and of course, in time, being known as uh, the greatest president of the United States. So in his, but in his time, he wasn't known as that. And it makes you wonder, it makes you think. I don't know how many of you have heard the phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. What does it say about the world that we live in that no good deed goes unpunished? If I could just share a little about my own life experience. I just had, I grew up uh, in, a, in, a, in a Christian family. My parents were lay leaders. My dad was an elder for many years in a church. And I saw some of the infighting and the bickering and the slander. I saw my parents get thrown into the bus by other Christians. I saw the underbelly of the church growing up. I mean, it's, this is a, you know, we're, we're sinners. We hurt each other deeply. We're family. Family members hurt each other deeply. I saw that. And yet, as I went into ministry as an adult, in fact, I didn't want to at first. My brother mentioned to me, I was like, nah, I, I've, I, I just do not want to do that. I don't pay enough. The ministers that I knew worked six days a week. That was ridiculous. You know, it just seemed absurd. And here I am. <laughs> By God's call, here I am. And, I, and I, for the most part, I love what I do. But I'll tell you this. Despite growing up, having seen all of the, 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 the hardships and struggles in the underbelly of the church, I still was not prepared for how often I would get thrown under the bus as a minister. I was not prepared for how, when you go to help people and try to love them and care for them, more often than not, they will hurt you. And it's hard. And they, you know, one of the things, difficult things about church leadership is that you will, you will try to love someone, you'll try to help them out. You'll, let's say that you've got a, a situation from a, a different church that I served in where the husband was uh, doing things that a husband should not do. The wife was hurting. And as leaders, that we had to. We, how could we not go to the husband and say, listen, we love you. We care about you. This has got to stop. This is not what's best for you. It's not what's best for your wife. It's not what's best for your children. Listen, we're not judging you. We're just deeply concerned. And people are getting hurt. You're hurting people. This has got to stop. Well, guess what he did? He went and told everyone else how, what terrible people we are. The leadership is, they're, they're just gossips. They're slandering. They're, they're judgmental. They're condemning. And of course, we can't do that. We can't go around everyone and give our side of the story. But everyone's like, wow, what jerks those, those leaders are. How can judgmental, how condemning? We're trying to protect a wife and kids. We're trying to protect everyone involved. And yet we just get thrown under the bus right and left. Because leadership, and generally, generally speaking, leadership is that way. And so I just had no idea. I had no idea how difficult leadership can be. And so the question is, the question that Psalm 27 speaks to, and you can turn back to it if you want to, back to Psalm 27 to follow along. But Psalm 27 speaks to this idea of slander. Okay, and I just want to say, well, where is that? Let's talk about that. And before we actually walk through the psalm, let's, uh, let's look at where, where do we see slander in this psalm? 
Well, again, it's on the psalm is on page 475, as Linda read for us. We see it several places. Again, and what's interesting, we'll talk about we'll talk about the psalms here. And, I, and I, as we as we as we as we looked at, well, let me let me, let me answer that question first of, of of slander. First, we see slander in verse two. It says, when the wicked advanced against me to devour me. Now, literally, the text says, the, the Hebrew says, to devour or to consume my flesh. And that is actually a, um, it's most likely a, a, uh, a Hebrew or a Semitic phrase that, that means to slander. Um, and in fact, there, there are several places in Daniel where the, the Aramaic actually is used of consuming one's flesh or consuming one to pieces. You may wait, well, wait, well, how does consuming one's flesh or devouring someone's flesh, what is that, how does that lead, what, how, why would that have the connotation of slander? And it's this way, is that our appearance is the way that we're recognized, right? My flesh, my physical flesh is the way that you recognize me. And so if I nibble and bite and cut and tear at your flesh, I'm tearing at your appearance. That is to say, I'm tearing at your reputation. Right? All of us perhaps have seen persons who've been through tragic accidents and their face has been deformed or something has happened to them. And we, and we, we respond with, at first we're just taken back, aren't we? And the whole idea here is that David is saying, listen, there are people out there who are trying to devour me. They are trying to slander me. They are after me. And if you look in verse, uh, verses 8 and 9, you have this wonderful appeal that David makes to God's face. As my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Well, what's he speaking of this idea of someone's face? Well, again, in, in that, in the, in the, in the sort of the language or, or world of the Old Testament of Hebrew, uh, you had this idea of someone's face as their evaluation, as their opinion, right? It's often we say, oh, you could just, you know, they said something, but the look on their face said another, right? This notion of someone's face is a way of what's their evaluation. Usually, it's a positive evaluation. In fact, as many of you will be familiar. Turn to the left real quick to the book of Numbers, and you'll see you'll see uh, a, a, a text that you'll probably recognize in Numbers chapter 6. This is on page 118 of your pew Bible, 118. But it's a blessing. In fact, often at the end of a service, a minister, I don't usually often do it. Uh, you use the one from Hebrews 13, as you know. But this is often a, a, a priestly blessing. And it's called the Aaronic blessing uh, from Aaron. And in verse 22, again, this is page 118, uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites, Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. Does that sound familiar? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his what? Face to shine upon you. That's speaking of his countenance, right? This, this notion of a favor, of smiling, of looking upon you. The Lord be, makes his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That is to, to favor you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So in this context, David is longing. He says, verse 8, he says, My heart says if you seek his face, there was, go, go pay attention to his opinion. What does he think about me? I'm being slandered or left and right. My name is being thrown, I'm dragged to the mud. And now my, my job is to seek his face, to know what does he think about me. My heart says if you seek his face, your face, O oh Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Now, does that language sound familiar? Do not hide your face 
from me. Those, you can think of the book of Isaiah. Turn to the right here. We're going to get all throughout Scripture this morning here. Chapter 53, Isaiah 53. Turn to page 634 in your pew Bible. 634 in your pew Bible. Chapter 53. Chapter 53, and it's verse, uh, verse 6, I believe. No, I'm sorry. Let me, let me make sure I got this right here. Um, Isaiah 53, 3, verse 3, excuse me. Now, you, some of you will recognize this. This is a description of the suffering servant, this mysterious servant who comes and is rejected by the people of God. Listen to this, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. Right? You're in situations where things are just, you see someone and you can't even look at him. You just, you just don't like him. You don't want to be associated with them. You turn your face from them. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. And again, if you turn back to the psalm, what's being said here is that he says, David's pleading, do not hide your face from me. He's saying, please, everyone, and so many other people have rejected me because of this slander, please don't reject me as well. I'm going to seek your face. And then finally, look in verses 11 and, verses 11 and 12. So teach your, to, uh, verse 11 says, Teach me your, your way, O Lord. Lead me in your straight path because of my oppressors. That word oppressor can probably be translated something like, it's very actually it's a difficult Hebrew phrase, something like a watchful foe. Like someone who's sitting there just watching you, waiting for you to fail. They can't wait. Right? It's sort of this passive, we're just going to wait and see. He's going through struggles, he's going through hardships, and I just can't wait for him to fail. And finally, in verse 12, he's, he's most explicit. He says, Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Wow. Now listen, understand here, the person, who's saying, the person who's about to tell us about how to handle slander, it's not some armchair theologian, okay? This isn't some guy in, a, in the ivory tower somewhere who's studied a lot about slander and is going to tell us. This is David, okay? This is a one who was a shepherd. He was God's anointed, right? And he's, he's, uh, he was a shepherd boy, a lowly shepherd boy, who became a warrior, a warrior who became a fugitive, an enemy of the state, right? He was on the most wanted list, if you will, a man who was fleeing for his life here to there with Saul after him, a fugitive who became a king, a king who became an adulterer and a murderer. In other words, let me say it this way, David has got some serious street credit when it comes to slander. Okay, so listen in. Listen to what he has to say. In the face of slander, what, is he, what does David have to say? This is so good. He says first, look at verse 1. He says first, he says, I'm fearless with my fortress. I'm fearless with my fortress. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my stronghold. He's my fortress. He is the one who protects my life. And this language, as we think about slander, it's so beautiful. You know, when there has been slander, when you have been wrong, when you've been gossiped about, there's deception. There is darkness. 
right? In darkness, there's shadow, there's play, there's, there's distortion, there's manipulation, words, there's, there's, all, there's all the subtlety and sleight of hand. When you've been slandered, it's like you're in the darkness. And David says, the Lord is my light. He's my light. And when you've been slandered, chances are, we'll get to this more, he says, you're, you're going to be outnumbered. You're not going to be able to win. You are just not going to win. You have to take it in the chin. And he says, the Lord is my victory, my salvation, my deliverer. The Lord is my light. He is my deliverer, my victory. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be ashamed? And again, he speaks, look look on verse 2. When the wicked advance against me to devour my foes, it is my enemies and my foes who shall stumble and fall. This is the confidence that he has. Verse 3, uh, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. See, when you're slandered, you, it's, like, there's like, it's like you versus everyone else. It's like you versus an army. It's like you versus just everyone else out there. The word's out there. It's gotten out. Because guess what? When you're slandered and gossiped, that, your opponent has got a head start on you. They've been able to get out first and talk to everyone. And now you're trying, to, you're trying to put out fires. You're trying to do, do con- just damage control. And they, they, you, you haven't gotten the first word in. And yet he says, I am in the face of the numbers, in the face of the, out, of the disproportion of my enemies to myself. I still will not fear. So he says, I will not fear, with, along with, I will not fear because he is my fortress. Now, why is God his fortress? What is it about David that's just how God happens to be on his side? Well, listen, he tells us in verses 4 through 6, God is his fortress because God is his focus. This is so important. Look at verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Do you see that he's saying, so I, so he's my, I know he's my fortress, and I know I, I can be fearless because I have made him my focus. He is the thing that I run after, that I go after. He's what I long for. I long to be in his house, to gaze upon him, to see his beauty, to see his glory, to see him for who he is. And if I do that, I know, verse 5, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent, and he will set me high upon a rock, and then my head will be exalted. In time, I'll be vindicated. Above, I'll be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. When I was uh, in high school, and junior high, especially high school, my parents did a wonderful thing that I, I was forever grateful for, they would, they would do hospitality. And not only hospitality with their friends, but hospitality with my friends. It was the most wonderful thing. I had a, a really close friend of mine, especially, and he and I would hang out all the time. And, and my mom was a good cook, and uh, so he would love to come over. And in his house, um, his parents were going through a divorce. Um, he didn't get along with his siblings well. It was, just, it was just a hard place to be. No judgment, no, no, you know, no criticism, but just it was hard. And the things, the values that were important in his house, the house that he grew up in, were things like athletic achievement. He was never a good enough athlete for his dad. 
Things like academic success, he's never quite smart enough. He tried, he studied super hard, but never was quite good enough. And it was just, and it was kind of a survival of the fittest, everyone for himself in his house. Those were the values of the house that he grew up functionally. And he would come into our house by God's grace, because my parents, God got a hold of my parents in their early 20s. They were just lost as lost can be. And God got a hold of them, revealed himself, revealed Jesus, revealed, given the hunger for his word, and it transformed how they thought about marriage, how they thought about parenting, how they thought about their money, their time, and they became very hospitable. And, my, and, and so my friend would come over for, for dinner, and my mom would sit there and pelt him with questions. How are you? What's going on? Encouraging him, celebrating him, affirming him. And I remember one time him saying, I love being in your house. Because the values there are so different. I'm welcomed. It's safe. It's okay. I'm celebrated. I'm challenged. My mom was fearless. My dad, too, my mom would be like, she'd be like, listen, you need to change that. And it's like, yeah, that's right. She's right. What can you say? I mean, she's, you know. But she did it in this way that she could get away with. She's just, she was just amazed. She could, you know, she could do, she could say anything. She could always say anything. It's amazing. I was like, mom, I can't believe you just said that. And it worked. I don't know how it worked, but it worked. And uh, so my point was, but my friend would say, I love being in your house. Why? Because the values are different. And that's exactly what David's saying. He says, I love being, and one thing about desire, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in your house all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty. And this word beauty, it's, it's, it actually only appears five or six times in the, Old, in the Old Testament. It's kind of hard to know exactly the nuance. It's really frustrating. <laughs> I, I would say it's something like charity, to know his charity, to know his generosity, to know his, his, his gracious welcome. In fact, I think in Psalm 90, they translate it favor. And I have these struggles. That's the, the favor. So I, I learned to see your favor, to know your welcome, to know how much you are a God who welcomes all the wrong people. You welcome sinners and tax collectors. And you take all these, you, in fact, this past, this past Wednesday night, we were uh, in our small group, we were kind of going through different major themes of the Christianity, sort of basics of the Christian faith. And we talked about God's mercy. We talked about, we read one of the story in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 21, I think, 21, 22, right? And it talks about uh, Ahab and Jezebel. And that's about how Ahab, there was just no one sinned more than Ahab did. He was the most vile man of all the kings, right? And then uh, Elijah shows up, totally just denounces Elijah. And you're thinking, after five chapters of uh, Ahab getting away with murder, literally, finally Elijah comes and says, you're done. God has decreed disaster for you. It's over. And as a reader, you're going, yes, thank God. <laughs> like, finally, right? And then guess what Ahab does? He repents. And God's like, you know what? No disaster. And you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> He's the worst guy. You just said he was the worst guy of all the kings. And Ahab's like, yeah, I blew it. I'm sorry. I really... And God's like, okay, we'll delay, we'll delay judgment. And you're like, are you kidding me? But that's amazing. It's beautiful to behold how merciful he is. He shows mercy to all the wrong people. But to behold, he says, David says, I want to dwell in your house. I want, to, I want you to be the focus of my life. Can you say that, Christian? 
David says, in the face of slander, everyone is just destroying me, verbally crucifying me. I will not fear, because he's my fortress. I know he's my fortress, because I've made him my focus. And with God as his fortress, with God as his focus, he is then able to make, in verses 7 and following, he's able to make this, this plea for God's favor. A plea for God's favor. Let me read that, verses 7 through 12. He says, uh, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me. The, the, the Hebrew is, Be gracious to me, or show favor to me and answer. He's saying, it's just, I, I, I've expressed my confidence in verses 1 through 6. I will not fear. I will not be afraid. You are my focus. And because of the in this immediate situation where I'm being thrown under the bus, please favor me. Please help me. And he, uh, listen to this plea. Verse 8, my heart says, if you seek his face. Right? He's saying, I have to tell myself to focus on making sure that what matters to me is God's opinion, not everyone else's. I'm going to worry about what God thinks about me, what my Heavenly Father thinks about me, rather than whoever it may be, a pastor, a professor, a politician, right, a family member, whoever it is, a, a boss. I will focus on what God thinks about me. Verse 9, do not, listen to this, this is so good. I think in this moment, David recognizes his sin. He recognizes his failing. He recognizes that what he deserves is to have God hide his face from him. Right? Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Look at then, listen to this verse, this verse of confidence in verse 10. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Isn't that beautiful? Now, many of you have very difficult relationships with parents, your parents very complicated relationships with your parents. Maybe they've rejected you, you've never been enough, whatever it may be. David here says, listen, though my father and mother rejected me, though those closest to me reject me, they actually buy the slander, they actually buy into the lies. Though the, clo- the people closest to me somehow are brainwashed and believe it, the Lord will receive me, he says. So he seeks divine favor. He seeks God's grace in verses 7 through 10. Then he seeks God's guidance in verse 11. In the midst of slander, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. You know, when, you, when you're slandered, the ver- what's the thing that you want to do most when you're slandered? Either slander back, or you want to go on the war path in some way. You want to vindicate yourself. You want to let the world know what the truth is. And David says, listen, I need you to teach me what to do here. I need, I need your direction. I need your guidance. So he, first he asks for God's grace. Be gracious to me. Don't reject me. Second, he asks for God's guidance. And then third, he asks for God to guard him. Verse 12. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. So he seeks God's favor. He's going to review. He says, I'm fearless because he's my fortress. And he's my fortress because he's my focus. Right? And then because he's my focus, I'm going to ask him for favor. Don't forsake me. Hear me. Be gracious to me. Guide me. Guard me. And then he concludes in verses 12 and 14. Or 13, sorry, verses 13 and 14. He concludes. He's, 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 uh, he's, um, he's sought God's favor, and now he expresses his certainty of the future. Look in verse 13. 
I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Isn't that beautiful? He, he, he believes that there will come a day of vindication. There will come a day of prosperity. I am confident of this. Verse 14, having being certain of his future, David inspires uh, the, the, the faithful. Wait for the Lord. Hey, if you're undergoing, you're being misunderstood right now. If you're being slandered, if you're being gossiped about, if you're being thrown under the bus. And listen, this doesn't have to be some collective, you know, some official situation, right? As parents, we are slandered every single day, right? As a, as, as, as a mom, especially. You have a thankless job, and your kids are constantly, your husband constantly underappreciating you, constantly taking you for granted, constantly uh, using you. Right? It's just mom, it's her job, you know, it's expected. That's slander. It's gossip. It, it's reput- it, it's, it's, you're, just, you're being thrown under the bus all the time. And you say, you know what, I'm going to be fearless because he's my fortress. I made him my focus. I don't care what my kids think about me. I don't care what my spouse thinks about me. I care what is God, God, I'm seeking your face. What is your face? What does it look like? And David is confident of God's, of God's forgiveness, of his welcome. Though my mother and father will reject, forsake me, the Lord will receive me. So he's certain of God's goodness, certain of, of, of his future, and again, he inspires uh, the faithful. Verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Let me just uh, say one final thing. The story is similar to I shared earlier. I can remember when I was a college student, I was at the Air Force Academy, and I was going to a PCA church in uh, Colorado, Colorado Springs, a wonderful church. They had a very large college and career group. And every, get this, every Friday night, there was this elder in the church, and this elder would welcome the entire college and career group. And you think, okay, well, what does that mean? I about 100 people. Okay, so every Friday night, he would have about 80 to 100 18-year-olds to 30-year-olds just, just descend upon his house. And he and his wife would lay out a spread that must have cost, I have no idea, but they would do it all themselves. They'd bring, it was just snack and, you know, finger food, etc. And we would all show up like, like vultures or leeches or something, right? Like wolves, sharks, whatever, pick your metaphor. And we would descend and we would, we would just consume the food, fellowship, there was teaching. We'd break off in small groups and pray for each other. It was the most wonderful way to spend a Friday night. And I, throughout the week at the academy, especially my freshman year, was constantly being thrown under the bus. I was never good enough, never smart enough, never fast enough. Uh, I, just, I just, it was always failing. And I can remember longing for them to go to their house, longing to go to the elder's house, because there the values were different. There I would be welcomed. There I would be embraced. And this is what I want to close with this. This is what I want you to see. Is that the prophets foretold a day, David himself foretells a day, when God's house will expand to become the entire world. Because a house is your domain. And David was confident that God's domain would grow and grow and grow. And one day, the, the, the domain of his house would be the domain of the whole world. Do you see that? In fact, you can look in Revelation 21 and 22 where it speaks of a time when there is no more temple, when there are no more, there's no, there's no barriers, no walls, but rather God's glory fills the entire city and his house 
reigns over the whole world. Finally, let me say that we worship someone, as we sing about, men of sorrows, lamb of God, right? Someone who was afflicted, someone who was utterly rejected, more misunderstood than you and I will ever be. And he was rejected for you and for me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father,